so we're here today as a community of faith. We are followers of Jesus. We believe that we have a relationship with our divine creator, and we follow his teachings, that we can become what he designed for us to be originally. Paul, the apostle in the first century, called this this community of faith, he called it the body. And so the question I have for us this morning is that when people look at this body, do they see something that is godly or something that is ghastly? What is it that they perceive when they look at us? Because there is this battle that takes place. And, and Paul actually wrote these words to uh, the church in Rome, and he said this about the battle that we face. In Romans, the eighth chapter, he says, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. We have two options, and maybe the best way I can describe this is we have these two options. i got a picture for you here, and Jason, go ahead and put it up there. You're either Hitler or you're Mother Teresa. And the way that we decide that according to what Paul just said, is where we set our minds, or if you will, our mindset. The actual wording there in the original language means, what do we entertain in our minds? Now, what dictates whether we have this Hitler-esque nature, because that that nature, if you will, is one that is self-focused and destructive. That's a a self-willed destructive nature. The flip side of that, which I would call the Mother Teresa spirit, is a, a nature that is, is selfless and life-giving. So we get to choose which of those according to our mindset, and our mindset comes from, according to what the Scripture says, who controls us. Now, the wording there, who controls, is a Greek word, simply E-N-N. It is a locative verb. It is a location verb. It means where you have set yourself, where you have, have positioned yourself. It is a fixed position. So if I have fixed my position in this spot, if you will, Hitler-esque, he says, I am hostile to God. I cannot and will not submit to God's law. On this side, I have this other nature that if I take a fixed position in Jesus, within his very spirit, he said the most amazing thing happens, not only do I fix myself there, but he said then the spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, that spirit that that dwelt upon the face of the deep and and brought forth creation, that spirit, he says, dwells within you. It means takes up residence. It goes into every part, every room, every seat, every place within our lives. So here's our struggle. Because you see, all of us have been in this spot where we have been destructive, where we have been hostile to God. We have been non-submissive to his law. And in the same manner, it has taken residency within us. We discovered Jesus. 
and understood that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all impurity. And he said he would sanctify us. That word simply means that he repositions us so that we are in Jesus and in the Spirit of God. So now the Spirit of God enters into our lives, and as he enters into every facet of our lives, into every room, he has got to go into where before we were hostile to God, and he has to say, here, in this attitude, you're no longer this way, but this is the way you are, now be this way. You are no longer in this kind of relationship, now you are this way with relationship. You're no longer this way in your attitude, this is the way it changes. Because he says, I send my Holy Spirit to mentor you. We become like God through a series of life changes. When, when I entered college, my freshman year, they sat us down on a freshman orientation. They said, now there's some courses you need to take. They're called 101 courses. These are basic courses. You need to have these basic courses if you are going to mature as a student, because you've got to know this stuff. So there was some, some English writing courses, and, and there were, were some how-to research courses. And because I was on a track to become a pastor, there was a Old Testament and New Testament survey course so that I would have that, the basics down. And they said, if I don't get these down, I will struggle. When you've entered into a relationship with Jesus... And you have found yourself now with the Spirit of God surrounding you and entering in. The first thing the Spirit of God is going to do is take you through the one-on-one courses. Because if you don't get those down, if I don't get those down, I will continue to struggle. And I've got to be honest with you, I have met plenty of people who said, I've known Jesus for 40 years, and they still don't have the one-on-one down. They still struggle. So my goal for us is to see what those are and say, yes, I understand that I've got these down. And so for these next several weeks, we're going to look at some of those 101 courses together to make sure that we have the foundation in this wonderful, wonderful journey with Jesus. So this morning, we begin simply with what Paul had said. He said, those who are, those who are in this, this place of, of, of a nature that is destructive, you don't know how to submit to the law of God. So let's just start there. What's this law of God? What do we do with this law of God? So an expert in the law, in the first century, a Pharisee came to Jesus and he said, what is the greatest command of all the law? And here's what Jesus said. Matthew records it in Matthew 22. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, now catch this, All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Why would he say that? Why would he say all the law hangs and all the words of the prophets hang here? It all seems to just just come to this one spot. Why? When I was a sophomore in high school, in 1970, way back then, I was, I, I, I was turning 16, and I was all set to go, and I, and I could get my driver's permit. And, and in high school, they had, back then, I don't know if they do it still here, but they had driver's education courses. So I took a driver's education course, and, and so we started out with, with the rules of the road, and we had no, some books to read. We did all of that stuff, and then they showed us films that were ghastly and ugly to make sure that we don't speed so we don't end up dead like the people we saw in the films. They did that. 
Then they put us in, in these, these kind of car things, these, these simulators where we learned how to, how to steer and, and gas pedal and, and, and clutch and, and, and all, do all of that stuff. And then eventually, according to our age, they would take us out in a car. And so one day they finally came in and said, Hey, Reisner, you're coming with me and somebody else. And so we jumped in a car I had never driven before. Now the car is like a normal car, steering wheel and automatic and, and brake and, and it's all right there. But the guy instructing also had a steering wheel and a brake on his side. They understand. So we began driving the back roads by Glendale High School in Springfield, Missouri. And all seemed to be going okay. We came out of a side street, and I looked to the left, there was no one there. I looked to the right, and there was a car coming. Now, understand that I've not driven before, so I don't understand depth perception and how fast cars are coming. In my mind, that car is coming at 100 miles an hour, and I'm about to freak out when the instructor says, you've got time, go. I look over, and I think he's going to kill us. So I slam down the gas pedal. I landed in a guy's yard. <laughs> it just happened like that, boom, right in the guy's yard. I guess you're supposed to stay, hang on to that wheel when you turn. It just, but it, it, we're there. So to, to keep some kind of respect, I then, as we're sitting with tracks up in this guy's yard close to his house, I put it in park. As if to say, there, how was that? He looked at me like I was nuts. I looked at him and said, you got a wheel and brakes. What happened to you? So since that time, that many years ago, I'm better. I really am. I I have learned how to stay in the center of my lane. I can do that. I'm good. But nonetheless, I can go down Interstate 90, and as I'm going down Interstate 90, you will see on the side of the road what they call guide rails. Now, they're expecting all of us to stay in the center of our lanes, but there are guide rails there because sometimes we veer. Sometimes something happens and we start off. The guide rails are there to say, go, go, go back, go back, get, get in that place that's safe. You, you can head towards Waterford this morning from here, and if you start to veer off the road, you'll hear those rumple strips go. And you know, you, you gotta, you gotta get back. But the whole idea is that you never need the guide rails and you never need the rumble strips. All you need is to stay in the center so that it becomes second nature. What what Paul the Apostle is telling us in these words that we're going to study this morning is that, and what Jesus said is that the, the law... And the words of the prophets were there as guide rails so that if we started to veer, we would we'd move back. But he said, the goal is this. The goal is this, that I want you to have second nature in your life, to drive in the center, right in the center lane. Stay right there. Now, the rules are there to pull you back. But if you stay there, you don't even need those. And so he tells us what that center lane is. Paul the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians 13, these words, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. 
love. The Greek word is agape. Agape in the first century was a common term, and it could have been used to mean affection. It could have been used to mean intimate passion. It could mean friendship. It meant a lot of things. The followers of Jesus in the first century were looking for a word that would encapsulate and visualize who they met in Jesus. And they said the best word we can find, although it's not perfect, is this word agape. So they took the word agape and they gave it CPR and they effused it with a Jesus virtue that became so incredibly profound, so life-changing, so community-defining, that as Paul described this word, his friends said to him, you're crazy, you're nuts, this, this can't be. There, there's, no, there's nobody that can do this. He said, but no, this, this is what the body is. This is the church. It all starts right here. This is the center lane. Love is the center lane. See, the law is not a bad thing. It is that, that guide if, if we veer off. So when I'm trying to discover how to love, see, when you come to know Jesus, when I came to know Jesus, I, I don't have this love thing down. So I've got, some, I've got some guide rails in place. So when Jesus said, when he's teaching, he said, here, here, listen, not only do not kill people, but don't hate them. So if I start to hate, the guide rail says, no, 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 get back to the center because it's not second nature to you yet. When Jesus said, you cannot fantasize about having a, a sexual relationship with your neighbor, your married neighbor. You can't do that. And, and the guide rail takes me back and says, no, no, stay in the center lane right here. When Jesus said, you can't talk ugly words about other people. You can't do that. He said, it gets me back in the center lane because, you see, the old nature wants to do that stuff. So I have to learn how to come to that place that it becomes second nature. I was reading some words from King David, the psalmist, and he described what it is when you get to this place that you love like God and it's, it's second nature. He said it, that kind of love is sustaining and everlasting, meaning that it's not up and down. It's, 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 it's constant. It's, you're right there. You're loving the way that Paul described all the time, and you never run out. It keeps going because it's a God love. It doesn't fade. It lasts. Several years ago, I was getting ready to take off on a flight, so I got my suitcase out, and I carefully selected what I was taking, precisely packed it. I had had confirmed my flights. The people that were going to host me were ready to receive me at at the other airport. I had even... even adorn myself, dress myself in such a way that I might have a good chance of getting an upgrade if they thought I looked halfway decent. So I'm set. I go to the airport. Everything is fine. I'm in line. I walk up. They ask my name. I tell them my name. They're pulling up my ticket. I've got a ticket. I've got my suitcase. It is perfect. I've got the people set to meet me. It's all good. And they say to me, can I see your ID? I reach into my wallet and I can't find my ID. You can't get on a plane without an ID. 
I start hunting through my wallet, all the cards and stuff, and look, I can't find it. And I start to sweat, and my hands are getting are sweaty, and and, and I'm starting to hyperventilate. I gotta get on this plane. I where's where I, I you see you. No matter how well I packed, I can't get on this plane without my identity. What Paul is telling us is this: You may have packed really good, but unless you have the real identity that is necessary, you're not going to end up where you want to be. And so he describes it this way. Again, 1 Corinthians 13. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of the angels but don't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or clinging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Now, the good news is that I'd forgotten that I had a new wallet and it had one of those outside pockets where you slide the, the uh, license in there. It was staring right at me the whole time. Actually, Pam was standing right next to me. She said, would you just get your license? It's right there. I said, thank you very much. Because here's the deal. If I could speak languages that angels speak, and if I had this divine ability to speak languages of the world, if I could have knowledge that most anybody else does not have, and it's just, you know, it's, it's got to come from God, and, and if I could speak prophetic words that would give you an idea of what's happening around you and a future, if I could sell everything that I have and I could feed the poor, If I would die because I said I have faith in Jesus, if I had all that packed, but I did not have love, I got nowhere. Because that's God's law. So how do I do that? And why is that important? Because love is the ID. It is the identifier of who we are. He said, look, when the perfect comes, the partial, the imperfect disappears. That word he uses there, when the perfect comes, actually comes from two adjacent meanings. So if this morning you got up and you're one of those people who cannot utter a word or even be nice about it till you have your coffee... So you wandered over to the coffee machine, and it's already timed. It's coming out, and everybody's so happy in your family that you get to that coffee because they don't want to talk to you till you drink it. And you get the coffee, and you take the big mug, and you pour it. And the coffee starts coming up in the mug until it reaches the brim. That is the word perfect, meaning it is filled up so that there's nothing left other than what's been placed in. It's full. The other adjacent meaning is this. It simply means to be complete, to be mature, as opposed to being childish. That's why Paul would say, when I was a child, I acted like a child. I thought like a child. I did child stuff. But when I became a man, I threw all that stuff out. It's gone. In my house next to our bed, if the power goes out at night... There's a flashlight because I'll need something that will give clarity in darkness. Now, I can take that same flashlight that helped me at midnight negotiate around my house and make things clear, and I can go out in the middle of the day 
when in Erie, Pennsylvania, the sun does finally shine. And I can use that flashlight, and I can shine it, I can point at the sun, I can point at the ground. It doesn't matter because it's redundant, because the source of light is taking care of everything, and I don't need anything else. What Paul is saying is that in this world we live in, there are those places you say are dark. They are minus the presence of God. And so what we've got to do, we say, is we've got to take some of those pieces of heaven, some of that light, and bring it and put it in this spot. So he says, there's tongues, for tongues will reveal what God is, is communicating. And there's prophecy. It will, it will also communicate the light of God. There's knowledge. So that stuff's good. And, and we have other things that we have created in our own tradition. We say it's important because this brings light in a dark place. But Paul says, the day will come. When that which is perfect comes, his name is Jesus, and he is so filled up and so full, we need nothing else. So that which reflects Jesus is no longer needed. Tongues will cease. They'll be still. Prophecy will fade away. Knowledge will go because you don't need it because Jesus is here. The stuff that we say is so vitally important to reflect Jesus that sometimes as a church in America we fight over. The music, the starting time, the preaching style, the types of ministries we have. He said all of that will be gone because he has arrived. That which reflects Jesus is no longer needed. That which is Jesus remains. And he said, I'll tell you what remains. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Three things will last forever. What are they? Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Love is the language they speak in God's world. Love is the music that's sung in God's temple. Love is not our duty. Love is our destiny. When we pray, come your kingdom, be done your will, if this is God's law and everything rides here, then what we are praying is, let your love be seen in this spot and use me to do it. That's why Paul says this, you got to let love rule. It just has to. Paul's writing this to a community. They've had struggles. He says, you know, you're like a body, and you've got an arm and a leg and an eye and an ear, and everybody's got these different abilities and different actions and different meanings, and, but they've all got to work together. They've got to be in unity. That's the way the body functions. But these people in Corinth are having difficulties because they've gotten so much focused on themselves and on their worship expressions. And let me just list for you some of the things they're dealing with. Personality cults, immorality, lawsuits, pagan practices, rich, poor divisions, pride, jealousy over spiritual gifts, and chaotic worship. And the amazing thing is that Paul doesn't say, okay, here's a book of rules, follow them. He says, here, let's just do this. Let's get you back in the center lane. Appreciate the words of N.T. Wright who says this, give people a command for a particular situation and you help them live 
appropriately for a day, but teach them to think Christianly about behavior, and they'll be able to navigate by themselves into areas where you hadn't given any specific instructions. He says, just do this, do this, do this, just do this. Do this one thing. Forget all the laws around you. Just do this thing, and it'll be okay. And here's what he says, 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Man, that's tough to do. So we just saw a video of Alex Chen, and and we watched him play, and he's just fascinating. I took two years of piano in college. I am horrible. I can't remember anything about it. You say, well, you took lessons. Yeah, but, but the piano, this guy is coming. He's got his bachelor's, master's, and his doctorate at Juilliard. Why? Because you've got to learn how to do that. You got to practice that. Today, if, if I said, who would like to speak Spanish? And you said, oh, I'd like to speak Spanish. And I found somebody else here who speaks Spanish. And I put you together for five minutes. Will you be fluent? I don't think so. If we get Jim Renner up here and he takes his guitar and you say, I always wanted to play guitar. And Jim gives you a 10-minute lesson. You good? Michael, row your boat ashore. Hallelujah. It's not going to happen. It's got to be practiced. Love has got to be practiced. That's why we've, we've said we've taken all of these expressions on love and we've, we've said, well, as a body of Christ, let's try to at least get an idea what that means. And so I don't know if we have, do we have that list for, for us? There we go. Remember this? So I want you to say this with me. Ready? I don't need to be first. I don't need to be right. I don't need to bail out. I don't need to spotlight your faults. That's the deal. I don't have to do those things. I'm in the center lane. So now let me, let me bring this down to practice for us because we've got to deal with this. For every life teaching that Jesus gives us, there is a life test so that it becomes a life choice. So we've been spending a lot of time talking about unity, and that's where that, that list came from, re- reflecting love, how we care for each other. We've been talking about if you want to be next to God, you put your treasure there because your heart follows. So we've talked about that. Don't you understand that when we start studying those things, we get tested? Jesus says, okay, are you going to work this thing out? So will you give me a moment to just work it out for us today? So we don't have a big issue, but I want to show you how we use this. So here's the deal. Last Sunday, Abundant Life Church came, and it was great. It was just wonderful. And, and Pastor Kevin Nelson preached. And after he shared with us this whole concept of first fruits, some of you left here going, oh, yeah, woo, set, turn me loose. Some of you went out going, gee, I don't know. I just I don't know that much about that. I'm just not sure. What am I going to do with that? Some of you left saying, man, what was that? That was a setup. Reisner gets a bunch of funds to do what he wants to do with. Don't we pay the man? Yes, you do. So what do we do with that? Because what he talked about last week could become divisive as anything else in the body could become divisive. 
And I know some of you were chattering. Some of you had questions. Some of you were researching. And some of you were just giving your opinion. So what do we do? Well, let's get back in the center lane. What would love say? So let me guide us. Here's what love would say. Paul said, love remains faithful. Love has faith. Love doesn't lose faith. So we start with trusting each other. We live in a culture now where we don't trust anybody. You have to prove your trust. When you walk with Jesus, you start the other way. You say, I'm going to trust you. Unless God shows me something different, I'm going to trust you. So Pastor Kevin Nelson shows up here, and you don't know him very well. I know him. I've known him for 17 years. I trust him. I have watched his life. And what he preaches, he lives. He is so well recognized by those who he, he ministers to that they said, you have apostolic gifts. You can father many churches, which he does throughout the tri-state region and even overseas. He writes curriculums of understanding of how the Holy Spirit works. And so even this whole thing of first fruits, the reason it, 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 it showed up is, number one, a year or a couple of years ago, we had somebody in this church, and I told you about the story, going to LECOM, and they began to use the principle of first fruits because they needed $95,000 that God would bless them with so that they could pay their school bill. And they, they went through this whole process of trusting God and obeying him with first, what God said to them would be first fruits. And they, they did that, and God supplied it. So I had this great interest that we'd be freed up to allow God to bless us. And then I began to talk with Kevin and he and Denise had been doing this for years until his church began to say to him, what are you doing and why is that happening? And so then he began to teach his church and then he invited others to come in and preach it because you see from a view of those who are critical perhaps or or wondering or suspicious, it could seem like he's patting his own pockets. So he'd invite others to come in and preach the principle. So I can only tell you this, that I watched his life and I trust him with this congregation, and I would trust him with my family. So I looked at that and said, okay, love, trust. So we're going to start there. There's no reason why I can't trust. Secondly, you say, but well, he came and taught a, taught a thing we're not familiar with, so do we just take that thing and run with it? We just go with it? We just, no matter what anybody teaches, we just say, well, because they have a, a title apostle, we've got to do that? No. Because Paul said, love rejoices when truth wins out. So what's the truth? Let's confirm the truth. Paul the apostle, big apostle, went to the church of Berea and began to talk about Jesus and teach what he knew about Jesus. And he said, these people in Berea were noble because they just didn't listen to what I said. They went back to the Holy Scriptures and dug through and made sure I was telling them the truth. See, you should should never take what I said here and say, well, it's got to be absolutely right because Reisner said it. Dig it out. Find it. Confirm it. So I, I've been in contact with our, our council this week. I said, what do you guys think about first fruits? Give me your research. And so we began looking through. So here's what I found. First fruits is incredibly biblical. It's all the way through the Old Testament. You say, but aha, but not in the New Testament. Well, yeah, you got to understand, though, that when Jews became followers of Jesus, they didn't quit being Jews. They were still Jews. Now, they didn't depend on circumcision to bring them into relationship with God. They depended on Jesus. But their whole lifestyle, their whole culture was still festivals and offerings. So they still did this stuff. Both the tithe and the first fruits were before the law. And they could still be after the law. In fact, 
we already studied tithes, and we know that the tithe goes to the one who is Lord of our life. That's why God said, hey, don't keep the 10% for yourself because you're ripping me off. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And the first fruit, you say, well, what is that? The first fruit is this, that whenever there was a harvest, they would bring part of the harvest, the first fruit, the very first part, and they would come to God and they would present it to him and say, here, this is yours. Now, would you bless the remainder of what we have that will fulfill its purpose, will feed our families, and we can help those who don't have as much. And what they brought was anything from a sheath, just a piece of the, of, of the harvest, and wave it before the Lord and say, here. And others would bring massive amounts because it would also then take care of, of the high priests and be used for the poor. So Kevin told you that, that for us, and, and, and he looks at it, he says, the, the first of the harvest for me is the beginning of my pay year, my fiscal year. For some people, it's, it's the bonus they get. It's the, it's the, the, uh, the raise that they've got. And you take, how much, pastor, how much? I don't know. That's between you and God. Kevin said he takes one week's pay and gives it to God and says, here, now bless the remainder of this. You say, well, what's the rule? There's no rule for us today. You get to choose. But what's God telling you? See, that's the truth. So dig it out and find it. Now, here comes the most difficult part. The difficult part is this, that love is always there to keep us united because unity reveals Jesus. When people see the church in unity, they go, oh, that's, that proves that God loves us. So Kevin said that his research says that when the first fruits is taken, it's then given to the high priest, and today that translates into the apostolic, and he said, that's Pastor Jack. So he gets that offering. And that's what he does. And his people, that comes to him, and his people are okay with that. And, then, and it's happening within their culture, and they trust him. And, and so he makes sure that he gets into the ministries and takes care of the servants, and he does all that he wants to do. And some of you say, well, wait, 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 wait. We're giving you stuff that you can just do what you want with? Well, the most important part of all this is back to love, and love says we stay in unity. So the most important thing for us is we will remain unified. We will not allow division or suspicion to rule in our community of faith. It's just not going to happen. You say, well, what are you going to do about this? Well, because we believe that we need to be in unity, here's what we're going to do about this. Because our tradition here has always been that when there's a collection of funds, there is open transparency and inspected integrity that will not stop. That when first fruit offerings come in, they will be brought into the, to the worship house and your leadership that you have selected, your pastors and your elders will oversee that and make sure it gets dispersed. I in no way am comfortable with or desirous of having a private fund that is not inspected. It's not going to happen because we are in a culture that is suspicious. Therefore, the unity is more important than anything else. And therefore, I'm telling you right now, I will not handle those funds by myself. It will be your leadership taking care of those things. Thank you for the applause. I really don't need it, and thanks to the five of you. That was good. So you say, Pastor, you're pretty intense. I am intense about this because we've been working together in unity, and I don't want anything to break this. We've just got to take care of each other. See, here's the deal. We live in a culture that for too long insists that all authority is to be doubted, personal interests are to dictate, and I should go best where I minister to. 
and if I don't get what I need, then I'll just leave. And love says, no way. In fact, Paul says this. He said, so you got spiritual gifts? Wonderful. You got miracles? Wonderful. You got supernatural? Wonderful. But I show you a more excellent way. And he said, the more excellent way is love. Why? So this young woman walks into a, a, a store that deals with fabric. She goes up to the person behind the counter and she says, I need two bolts of material that rustles and makes noise. The guy thinks, well, that's just kind of strange. But he goes and he, he finds two bolts. He says, that'll be perfect. And so he's ringing it up and it, it, it finally it just gets the best of him. He just says, well, why do you want material that makes noise? She said, well, because I'm getting married and this is going to be for my wedding dress. My fiancé is, bl- is blind. And so when I come down the aisle, I want him to hear me coming so that when I arrive, he's not embarrassed that he doesn't know I'm here. Paul the Apostle says, listen, when we're trying to find God right now, it's like looking in a dark glass. It's so hard to see him. And one day we'll see him brilliantly, but right now it's really dark. So here's what's going to happen. You as the body of Christ will love each other to this degree that people will hear the love of God and they'll know, oh, he's close. And then you'll begin to be able to see even dimly, ah, that's what he looks like, so that it's placed in their heart that they want to see him face to face. That's what love does. Because in the end, there's only three things that remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is what? Love. That is the most excellent way. Would you stand? So now may you begin to understand and comprehend the depth the length, the height, and the breadth of God's love for you. May you find joy in this day that he's created for you. And may you, in the same manner that he loves you, love others around you. May your words be pure and life-building. May your thoughts be for the benefit of others. May your gifts go forth from you And bless others to the degree they understand God's great love for them. And may we stay in unity, focused on what God has designed for his kingdom to do. May we love as Jesus loves us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.